0: I bring you greetings from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one, crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make every crooked path straight. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It is indeed another blessed day which the Lord has made. In our last broadcast, we began to discuss differentiating the voice of God from other voices, obviously. We asserted that in uh, speaking about hearing from God, we must necessarily not swallow hook, line, and sinker every thus saith the Lord, to mean that that is the word of God, without first subjecting the speaker to a battery of tests. And some of these tests we mentioned are that, is the speaker's uh, declaration of the sonship and messianic rule of the Lord Jesus without equivocation? That is, he's not trying to say anything beyond the fact that he is the son of the Lord of, 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 of God, and he is the savior of the world. Secondly, is the speaker's message about the kingdom of God, or is it some humanistic, ideological, uh, developmental, motivational message? Does it really speak about the kingdom of God, or is it just telling us something that anybody can learn from a, a business school? Do the speaker's actions reflect one who is living by the word of God, or do they speak? of one who is trying to excuse their moral feeling by twisting the word of God to say what it did not intend just to justify their um, unholy acts? Does the speaker spew hate or narrow focus on their own local assembly or denomination? Or do they manifest a love for the brethren and indeed of mankind insofar as it relates to the salvation of man. Does the speaker, without equivocation, believe and declare the miraculous conception and birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, his earthly ministry, not just of miracles but also of holy living, his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, and his imminent return? Or does the speaker dig up some unscriptural theological explanation to support something different these are things that we need to ask these are some of the battery of tests that we need to we need to pass people who are coming to speak to us through over time this is not something that you just do one 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 off and then uh, at the end of the day you say well i'm I'm satisfied with this just because what he's saying appeals to you we also looked at the story in first kings chapter 13 of the man of god from judah and the uh, old prophet in israel we observed how the man of god was easily deceived by the old prophet, but not by the idolatrous king, Jeroboam. It was easy for him to be deceived because he, he had thought that the, being an old being a prophet of the Lord, that um, this fellow would, would not be saying anything contrary to the word of God. He was deceived. And um, we, we now saw how, as a result of that deception, he died listening to this prophet rather than been heed to what God had told him when he began his ministry. Sadly, there are many young ministers who have been deceived and misled by many an old prophet. So this evening, what we want to try and do is we go over uh, 1 Kings chapter 13 again, uh, verse 1 to 32, and then uh, as, as we as we read this, We would we would be able to draw a few things that will help us to you know to be able to learn lessons, Mm -hmm. so so that we can learn lessons from the mistake which the man of God made, and we're we're not trying to pass judgment on him because we 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 probably have made some mistakes ourselves along the way, but we want to understand the mistakes he made and be able to make sure that we don't repeat those mistakes. I've always said that wisdom can come from learning from the mistakes of others, even while learning from the truly wise. So let's, let's turn our Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 1 through to 32. And behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. And he cried against the altar in the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David, Josiah by name, and upon thee, upon thee, shall be shall he offer the priests of the high places that burn incense upon thee, and men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord had spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent, and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. And it came to pass, when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, which had cried against the altar in Bethel, that he put forth his hand from the altar, saying, Lay hold on him, and his hand, which he put forth against him, dried up, so that he could not pull it in again to him. The altar also was rent, and the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king answered and said unto the man of God, Entreat now the face of the Lord thy God, and pray for me, that my hand may be restored me again. And the man of God besought the Lord, and the king's hand was restored him again, and became as it was before. And the king said unto the man of God, Come home with me, and refresh thyself, and I will give thee a reward. And the man of God said unto the king, If thou wilt give me half thine house, I will not go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so was it charged me by the word of the Lord, saying, Eat no bread, nor drink water, nor turn again by the same way that thou camest. So he went another way, and returned not by the way that he came to Bethel. Now there dwelt an old prophet in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. The words which he had spoken unto the king, them they told also to their father. And their father said unto them, What way went he? For his sons had seen what way the man of God went, which came from Judah. And he said unto his sons, Saddle me the ass. So they saddled him the ass, and he rode thereon, and went after the man of God, and found him sitting under an oak, and he said unto him, Art thou the man of God that camest from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said unto him, Come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with thee, nor go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water with thee in this place, for it was said to him, for it was said to me by the word of the Lord, Thou shalt eat no bread nor drink water there nor turn again to go by the way that thou camest. He said unto him, I am a prophet also, as thou art. And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee into thine house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied unto him. So he went back with him and did eat bread in his house and drank water. And it came to pass, as a sat at the table that the word of the Lord came unto the prophet that brought him back. And he cried unto the man of God that came from Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, for as much as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord, and hast not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but camest back, and hast eaten bread and drunk water in the place of the which the Lord did say to thee, Eat no bread, and drink no water. Thy carcass shall not come unto the sepulchre of thy fathers. And it came to pass, after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk, that he saddled for him the ass to wit for the prophet whom he had brought back. And when he was gone, a lion met him by the way and slew him, and his carcass was cast in the way, and the ass stood by it. The Lord also stood by the carcass. And behold, men passed by. And saw the carcass cast in the way, and the lion standing by the carcass. And they came and told it in the city, where the old prophet dwelt. And when the prophet that brought him back from the way heard thereof, he said, It is the man of God who was disobedient unto the word of the Lord. Therefore the Lord hath delivered him unto the lion, which hath torn him and slain him according to the word of the Lord, which he spake. Unto him, And he spake to his son, saying, Saddle me the ass. And they saddled him. And he went and found his carcass cast in the way, and the ass and the lion standing by the carcass. The lion had not eaten the carcass, nor torn the ass. And the prophet took up the carcass of the man of God and laid it upon the ass and brought it back. And the, and the old prophet came to the city to mourn and to bury him. And he laid his carcass in his own grave, and they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother! And it came to pass, after he had buried him, that he spake to his son, saying, When I am dead, then bury me in the sepulcher, wherein the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the same which he cried by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel, and against all the house of the high places which are in the cities of Samaria, shall surely come pass. Praise the name of the Lord. This is a very interesting story of a man of God who was sent by God from Judah. The Bible makes it clear that it was by the word of God that he was sent. He heard what God had to say and he went ahead and delivered. In fact, he manifested the power of God when he went before the altar and prophesied against the altar. And when the king tried to have him arrested, the king's hand froze. In fact, the king had to beg him to beg God. And when he prayed to God, God heard him and released and restored the hand of the king. Then the king sought to to, to to um be a blessing as it were, to reward the man of God. But the man of God refused. And it was at that point in time that the man of God declared to the king that, look, even if you were to offer me half of your estate, there's no way I'm going to take it because God had warned me that I was not to eat anything in this place or drink anything in this place. And I was not to return by the same way. And so he he, he rebuffed the king and he left now. On the way, when he was going, it happened that the sons of an old prophet in Israel was also they were present at this uh, event where there was idolatry taking place. And then they returned home and narrated the incident to the father. And the father said, where did this prophet go? And then he followed him. He followed after the prophet, found him sitting by an oak tree. And then he called him and said, look, come back with me, you know. Um, uh, and the, and the prophet said no 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 i cannot come back that way because god had already told me that i can't come that way and the man made a pronouncement he said he said to the he, he made a statement he said to the uh, man of god he said i'm also a prophet and an angel spoke to me to say i shall call you back this is a very crucial statement that he made which should have which we all can learn from the bible tells us in galatians chapter 1 i think it was paul who was writing by the spirit of god that even if an angel were to come and deliver a message that is contrary to the gospel which we have heard. That that in that person should be accursed. In other words, we are not to heed such a message. We are not to heed such a gospel. Here was that case. Unfortunately, this man of God listened, and he was off. Or off. It was was off for it. Anyway, he followed this uh, old prophet to his home, and as they were eating, suddenly the word of God now came through the same old prophet and cried to him and said, you are going to meet your demise on the way. You're not even going to get to Judah. You will not be buried in Judah. Now, you know, it's very interesting that the same prophet who lied was the same prophet that God chose to speak to this man of God. The answer is simple. Since this man of God had chosen the old prophet over the word of God, God now spoke, okay, now you go, since he's going to listen to you, you go and speak to him. And it declared judgment against the man It is also interesting that the lion that met this man on the way, having killed the man, did not attack the donkey, did not attack the passers-by. Indeed, when the old prophet came to claim the remains of the man of God, the lion did not attack. So that was not just an ordinary lion. That was God passing judgment upon this man of God. So there are a lot of things that we can learn from the events that led to the demise of this man of God. It, the, we might look at the demise of this man of God, not just physically, but also spiritually. There are many of us, there are many young ministers, even some, some old ministers, who may be alive physically, but spiritually their ministries are dead. Spiritually, what it is that God wants them to do he has, he, has, he, has, he, has, he has put it in a, in a shelf because of the way and manner they have been conducting themselves, going from place to place, and hearing messages that God did not authorize, messages that God has not sanctioned. So we ask, what can we learn from this story? Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 to 12, that there is a lot that we can learn. It says, the things that have been written aforehand were written for our own admonition. They were written for us to learn lessons from so that we don't fall into the same kind of mistakes that the people who had gone before us have fallen. And then he concludes in verse 12 by saying, let him that thinketh he stand, take heed lest he fall. So this is for every one of us. No matter how strong you believe you are in the Lord, it's a lesson for all of us. We need to take heed lest we fall. Number one, let us make it a point to test for fruit rather than focus on leaves whenever we are dealing with people who come to say to us thus says the lord fruit signifies the fruit of the spirit moral character holy living we're talking of holiness of life and leaves represent activities ministry visible actions which belie the unseen human nature many a times we deal with people and we cannot really tell who they really are character wise but we know we deal with them of hand. And God is saying to us, we must focus on fruit rather than on leaves. In Mark chapter 11, verse 12 to 14, I'm sure it's a story that we know. Mark 11, verse 12 to 14. The Lord Jesus was going to Jerusalem. And on the way, he saw a fig tree that had leaves but no fruit. And he cursed it. Why? Because it was expected that that fig tree would have figs. So when we see somebody who says he is a man of God, we expect to find fruit on it. This fig tree that had no figs was cursed by the Lord. In the same way, when you see somebody who is manifesting leaves, activities, doing work of ministry, and yet is not manifesting uh, fruit, that fellow is in danger of being cursed. In 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 7, uh, chapter 2 rather, 2 <laughs> Thessalonians chapter 2, and I'm going to be reading from verse 7 through to verse 12, uh, First Thessalonians, sorry, Second Thessalonians, I was looking at first. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, from verse 7 to verse 12, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way, and then shall that wicked be revealed. Whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders. Here he's describing the Antichrist and saying that the Antichrist will be working with the power of Satan, with signs and lying wonders. And verse 10 says, And with all deceivable deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That they all might be um, damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasures in unrighteousness. The Bible is saying here, major point I want to draw out here is that activities do not mean that God has approved of that man. Sometimes it could mean so, but not necessarily because there are lying wonders, whether we believe it or not. Sometimes people say, oh, that man get power. So you see people flocking there. Bible says that God will send them strong delusions so that they will believe it because they refuse to accept the truth. We must not find ourselves in that place where we do not accept the truth to the point to our own detriment where we are believing a lie. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 11 to, to 17, in, in Revelation 13, 11 to 17, again speaking about the Antichrist and the prophet of the Antichrist, particular prophet of the an Antichrist in uh, Revelation 13, 11 to 17. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. He's speaking of that prophet. This is a prophet of Satan who was going to be the supporter of the Antichrist, Bible says that he looked like a lamb, but he had two horns, and he spoke like a dragon. The dragon is a figure of Satan. And in verse 12, it says, And he exercised all the power of the first beast, that is, the Antichrist, before him, and corset the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders. Listen to what this fellow is doing. He, says, he doeth great wonders, not small wonders, great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth. In the sight of men, he called down fire. Like Elijah called down fire. This man will be able to call down fire. And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying, Lo, saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image the beast which had the wound by a sword and did leave. And he had power. To give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Imagine the kind of power that this false prophet was going to is going to manifest. He's going to be able to call fire, he's going to be able to turn an image to, to, to be animated so that the image which is an inanimate object will be able to speak and give command. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that hath the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Brethren, we are indeed in the end times, and many things are happening. Many of us are seeking miracles to the detriment of checking for fruit. We need to check for fruit. It is not enough to be excited about miracles. Just look at John the Baptist. John the Baptist did not work one miracle and yet the Lord Jesus said of John the Baptist that of all men born of women at least before the establishment of the kingdom of God before the coming of the kingdom of God which would have been established after he had departed. Not there was not one greater than John the Baptist. He, by that token, he was saying that John the Baptist was greater than David. John the Baptist was greater than Abraham. John the Baptist was greater than Elijah, Elisha. All the miracles of Elijah and all put everything together. John the Baptist was greater than all of that. And yet, this same John the Baptist did not write one miracle. It was about the character, the fruit. So we must make it a point of duty to check, to inspect fruit in the people who are speaking to us. You cannot just see somebody who comes to you and says, "Well, I'm, I'm a man of God, I'm speaking the word of God, and you don't know him from anywhere. Let him speak the word of God. Put it aside. Go and pray Go and pray to God and let God speak to you. The Bible says that we are not to despise prophecies, but we should test everything, we should prove everything. So let's go ahead and prove that. But also, we must be able to find out something about this vessel that has been sent to us, if indeed God sent him to us. Miracles don't necessarily mean that the work of the miracle is a man of God. For there are indeed some miracles that the Bible calls lying wonders, like we have seen here. So we need to be careful. So rather than being carried away by miracles, let us seek the the, the, the fruit which is in in, in this man. Let us search certain things. There are three things that I've always used to, to, to be able to discern and to be able to judge when people are speaking. Number one, purity. Number two, humility. Number three, charity. I I, I use I use uh, the, the the letters P H C, which stands for Port Harcourt, uh, to to be able to uh, memorize that. Purity is speaking of holiness, integrity. One who is living for God, that's a pure man. We're talking of people who are not swayed by by every wind. People who are going to stand firm, even if it means their death. The Bible speaks of the man who will enter into the uh, the, 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 the the mountain of God. It says it's the man that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. Then humility speaks of people who, are, who bring themselves to subjection to God and also to man, especially those in authority, whether they are civil or they are religious. And also the fel- humility means that you are also subject to other people, even your subordinates. Humility is not just showing humility to people who are superior to you, but also people who are subordinate to you. Humility is the nature of Christ. It's the nature of God. So it is either Christ is in you or not. If Christ is in you, you'll be humble. Humility is not something you work at. Humility is the nature of God. And when Christ is in a man, humility will will flow naturally. And then when we talk of charity, we're talking of love for all men regardless of creed, regardless of religion, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of nationality, regardless of skin color, regardless of political affiliation, regardless of socioeconomic uh, status. Charity is benevolence shown to other people, even the undeserving. It is the kindness of the benevolent rather than the goodness of the recipient. So when we are talking of uh, 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 PHC, we are talking of looking at a man you, you, you can't see it overnight. You, somebody that you would have spent time in, 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 in close proximity to. Somebody that you, you have seen how he has related in his own home, with his family, with his wife, with his neighbors. That brings us to the second point I want, to, I want to make here. Let us take time to assess the life of the prophet. The man who says the prophet, let's take time to assess his life. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, From verse 1 to 13, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 13, the Bible gives us instructions on who should actually be a minister of the gospel. This is a true saying. 1 Timothy chapter 3, from verse 1 to 13, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. He must be the husband of one wife. You cannot be somebody who is married two wives. Or you are divorced, your wife is still living, you have not reconciled, you have gone to take another wife. No, 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 no. That's not a man of God. That's the simple truth. Does it mean that somebody who is divorced and remarried cannot serve God from the Bible? The answer is yes, he's not to be ordained a bishop. God is particular about these things. Does it mean that that man cannot be a Christian? Well, go and read the Bible. There was a time when the, when the Israelites were marrying all kinds of wives. God told them to, to, to take those wives away, send them away, and stay with only one woman. I, I read the other day, on, on, was it on social media or somewhere, where a, man of, where a so-called man of God was saying that there's nothing wrong with, with um, having more than one wife. That polygamy is a, is a scriptural thing. I mean, imagine the kind, of, the, the kind of crazy things that people are saying these days. And many people are accepting it. We need to test these things in these people. If, you, if this man, if the man who said that thing that you can be polygamous, you, you know already that he's polygamous. It, how did he become a... Who, who, who ordained him a minister? In verse 4, he says, One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God. We are going to see this. There are four things that the Bible is mentioning that we need to assess in the life of people who say they are ministers or who will be ministers. In verse 6 it says, Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine not greedy or fill the locker holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience and let these also first be proved then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless even so must their wives be grave not slanderers sober faithful in all things let the deacons be the husband of one wife ruling their children And their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well, purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. So four things that we need to check when you are moving in close proximity with this man. One, what is the prophet's own life like? Two, what is his wife's life like? Three, what is the lifestyle of his children? And four, how is he perceived by the Gentiles? That is, by, the, by his neighbors who are unbelievers. Let's take the first one. Like I said, we need to look at the prophet's own life. The old prophet was called old. So we know that he wasn't a novice. So I mean, on that point, he clears it. However, it was not necessarily because he was advanced in age, neither because he was long in the ministry, even though it is possible. But the point rather is that, he was referred to as an old prophet because God was no longer using him. This was somebody that was used at some point in time. But he was there in, in, in Israel and Israel had gone the way of idolatry and God didn't speak to him to go and speak to Jeroboam. What was going on here? After all, the old, the, this prophet was in Israel. God could have told him, go and speak to Jeroboam, but God, he didn't go. God did not call him. Instead, God had to send for somebody from Judah to go. It is possible, of course, for God to send somebody from another uh, culture to a different culture to share the word of God, whilst people from that same culture are there sharing the word of God. That's possible. It doesn't discredit the people who of that culture who are there and doing the work of God. No, it doesn't discredit. But in this particular case, the issue, the point we're trying to make here is that the fellow was there and God didn't use him. It It was somebody who possibly had been used before by God but because of certain things going on, maybe in his life or whatever, I don't know, he was no longer used. And who knows? These are all speculations, of course. Maybe that is what sparked the envy that, enab- that made him to go on to deceive the, um, the, 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 the man of God who had come. So I say to you, beware of the old prophet. Beware of the old prophet. Beware of people who keep bringing testimonies from the past. People whom God is no longer using, and remember, when we talk of God using you, it is not about how many people are gathered in a place and that you are you are ministering to them. No, 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 that's not it. It's about your character. It's about who you are morally. It's about you in your in holy living. It's about you living for God and God alone. Remember, activities don't mean that God is using a man. It only means that that man is active. So assess. This prophet's life. You you have to do it to uh, be, because that's 2A. To be, let us also look at the wife of the prophet. Look at the wife of that man. Is she grave, like the Bible says? Is she a slanderer? Is she sober? Is she faithful in all things? Is, is, is she somebody who just talks anyhow? Or is she, is she calm, comported? Or she just talks anyhow, addresses people anyhow? Is she faithful when it comes not only to the word of God, but in all things? I've been hearing stories of wives of ministers who are engaging in adulterous uh, affairs. God forbid. Is the, this wife of this prophet, is she subject to the husband? Or is she running a competitive parallel ministry? We don't know what happened here because the Bible did not tell us that about the wife of this uh, old prophet. It's either the wife was dead or the wife was just nowhere to be seen. But where the man has a wife? We need to find out what is going on. Today there are women who are engaging in competitive ministries, competing with their husband rather than being supportive. Is she is this wife really a helpmeet, indeed? Or an over-assertive wife who insists on things being done? Maybe she's a she's a she's a women's li- li- liber. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible expects the wife to be grave and be in subjection to her husband. That of course does not gar- does not mean that the man should treat his wife. As a doormat no the wife is your helpmate Is there to help you your supporter your partner when every door has shut against you your wife is the place where you go for comfort when you find a man who cannot stay in his home who is always after service he wants to go with this person he wants to go with that person he will not return home to his wife you better check what is going on with his wife at home can the young women learn true christian virtues from this wife let's look at titus Titus chapter 2, I'm going to read verse 1 and then I'll read verse 3 to 5. I'll just skip verse 2 and read 3 to 5. It says, but Titus uh, chapter 2 now from verse 1 and then uh, verse 1, then 3 to 5. But speak thou these things which become sound doctrine. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. That is a, that's the wife of a pastor. She must be mature spiritually. Not false accusers. Not given to much wine." teachers of good things. In verse four, it says, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. The wife of the pastor, that is one of the roles that she ought to play in the house of God. To be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. This is the reason why the wife has to be great. So that the word of God is not blasphemed. Thank God there are I know many pastors. I know a few pastors who are doing the work of God from their heart. I know that the hand of God is upon their lives. But their wives have become a, a, a blemish as it were to their lives. I'm praying for those men of God. That the almighty God will visit their marriages. And turn things around in their favor. In Jesus name. Amen. In First Peter chapter 3 verse 1 to 6. First Peter chapter 3 verse 1 to 6. Because I hear some people say, oh, but what if the, what if the husband is treating her badly? Hear what, hear what the Bible says in First Peter chapter 3, verse 1 to 6. I am not supporting husbands maltreating their wives. But I'm saying that it is not an excuse for the wife to misbehave. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if they obey not the word, they also may without the word be warned by the conversation of their wives, by your conduct. You can win your husband. You can, you can bring your husband to the place where he will become, even if he's misbehaving. In verse 2, he says, While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible. Even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Enough of the hairdo, enough of the bling blings, and all the shiny, shiny attire. What God is looking for is that inner man, the beauty of the inner man, not the beauty that, not the clothing that we put on, but the the beauty of a quiet and meek spirit on the inside. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves. Being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughter ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. The wife of the prophet, the wife of the man of God, the wife of he that is prophesying. How is she? How is she behaving? How does she conduct herself? How is she living? Is she a worldly woman or is she spiritual? Is she is a focus on the kingdom of God or is she just looking at something else? To see, we have looked at the man, we've looked at the wife. We also need to look at his children and see how he relates with them, especially with respect to discipline. I think the Bible records, I, I believe it must be, uh, was it in 1 Kings or thereabout, of Adonijah, one of the sons of David, where the Bible says that the father at no time disciplined him. So he never said any, never said anything whether you are doing something wrong or you are doing something okay, never said anything to him. No wonder that boy rose up while his father was still breathing to want to become king, without the father saying, I will make you king. We need to check how his children are. The Bible says that his children must be grave. If he cannot rule his house well, then he has no business superintending over the house of God. Does that mean that if, if a pastor has wayward children, that we should discountenance him? No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that when you when you begin to look at these things cumulatively, you will see if his life is wayward, the wife is wayward, his children are wayward. Of course, you can discountenance it. And then his neighbors don't even care. Throw that fellow away. That's the simple truth. But if the man is on fire and you are seeing some defects in the, in the matter of his wife and his children, then seek the face of God on behalf of that pastor. We need to pray for them that God will help them. But in this particular case, in the old prophet's case, his children were actively involved in idol worship. That was how come they were present when the, the man of God from Judah was speaking to the altar and had a conversation with Jeroboam, which they now went to relate to their father, and their, their father uh, went ahead to deceive this man of God. What ha- what are we? What are we as pastors, as prophets, as ministers of the gospel? How are we conducting ourselves at home? What 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 role models are we to our children? How can a pastor or a pastor's wife? allow her children to dress in a wayward manner and say, well, it doesn't matter. You know, it's their generation. What generation are we talking about? We should be grave in handing our children. Fourthly, that's 2D. Let us also check his testimony amongst his neighbors. Does he have a good testimony? I am not saying that people cannot accuse a man of God wrongly. They can But let it be that the accusation is wrong. Let it not be that the accusation is correct. Check. How is this man with his neighbors? How do they see him? Do they see him as a true man of God? I remember the story I heard once of a a, a, a parishioner in a, ch- in a church who went to uh, the office of his pa- of, a, of his pastor, and um, when they got there, he got to the reception and was asking for pastor so and so, and the receptionist said, "Is that man a pastor? That man a pastor? Are you sure that man is a pastor? That is that is a poor testimony. These are the things that God wants us to check when we are when we are considering the messenger." that is bringing a message. Not just the message, not just the signs and wonders and miracles, but let us look at the life of this man. Thirdly, let us not get carried away with the renown of the prophet. You know, he's, he's a popular man, he's well known. Let's not get carried away with that. But let us always make a habit of checking with God. If God gives you an instruction, only he should tell you if he has changed his mind, which we know he can, he can change his mind. In First Kings Chapter Twenty One, from verse twenty-five to twenty-nine. We are not going to read it. The Bible gives us the story of Ahab. After Ahab had gone to uh, 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 collect the land from Naboth, through uh, Jezebel's plot, where Jezebel had Naboth killed, and God pronounced judgment against Ahab, and God told Elijah to go and tell Ahab what he would, what what God would do to him, and Elijah went and pronounced judgment against Ahab. By the word of the Lord, when Ahab heard the word of God, Ahab was the Bible says that he he was so he was so perturbed he, he 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 tore his clothes, put on ashes over his head. In other words, he repented. He humbled himself. The Bible says that when God saw that he had humbled himself, God rescinded the judgment, said no, that judgment will not come in his time. It will still come, but it will come in the days of his children. So yes, God can you know turn. To, you know change his mind on judgment based on the 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 the, uh, the behavior of the person over whom judgment has been pronounced. God can change his mind and and, and, and and redeem that fellow from that judgment but it must be God telling us that he has changed his mind number four let us also be mindful of the new prophets. there are untested men who are calling themselves man of God. Some of them are giving themselves big titles. Bishop, apostle, whatever those things mean. I don't even understand the essence of all these titles, quite frankly. But they give themselves all manner of titles, untested men. They have not spent time in the in the in the back side of the wilderness. They have not se- spent time tending to sheep of another man, but they are just jumping out. And they, they say they are they are, they are men of God. These are untested men. They just burst onto the scene with no pedigree whatsoever. Nothing of his lifestyle. But he has called himself a big name. There was one fellow in those days, some years back, who called himself Papa. And they began to call him Papa. And one day I saw the photograph of this fellow. He was just a boy. On one of those occasions, I went to to, to the bank and I saw him in the banking hall. He was behaving like a thug. Very rowdy. Making noise. The moment he entered the place, everywhere the atmosphere changed to an atmosphere of noise. And they called him Papa. Lately I heard of some of the things he had been doing. And now he's going from place to place and now he's being wanted by the police. Check these new prophets who think that all all ministry is about is to come and say to you, thus says the Lord, I have a word from God for you and so on and so forth. It's not about that. God is dealing with character in man. When you become a carrier of the spirit of God, then God can use you and do his work. Actually, it is a spirit in you that is doing that work. It is a spirit, the spirit of Christ in you that is bringing about humility in your life. So we must submit to God's inner workings by His Spirit, what we call sanctification. There's nothing wrong in asking people about their salvation experience. Somebody comes to you and says, thus says the Lord, you don't know Him. He says, He's a new prophet. Oh, He just, oh, He heard the word from God. Ask Him, how were you born again? In fact, if you stay in a particular church for some time, you should at least have heard about the salvation experience of the pastor. There's no way he will preach. For some time that you will not hear him talking about how he got born again. And then you can judge if that truly is a a salvation experience or something that just came out of the figment of his imagination. We need to be patient to know people. Be calm. don't Don't just jump at people who are speaking to you. Many of us are getting excited. We just want to hear a word. We want to hear somebody say, oh, thus says the Lord. And we are happy that God is speaking. But who is this person? You don't know. There are many people now. Who said they are speaking the, by, by, the, by, by the word of God? And they are, they are calling, they say, I speak by the name of the God of Pastor so-and-so, by the name of the God of Bishop so-and-so. Who are these people? The name of the Lord Jesus Christ is not sufficient. They must call it by the name of the God of my pastor. Do you know the God that that pastor said? You, you, you see, it, 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 takes, it takes a lot to be able to know people. You just don't know them offhand. Off you need to spend time interacting with them, relating with them over time, years, sometimes decades. Before you can know that fellow, let us be careful. As we, are be- as we are warned to beware of the old prophet, let us also beware of the new prophet. Those who God will use, they are usually tested on a continuous basis. The Bible speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ in Hebrews chapter five, verse eight. He said, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Number five, let us always catch ourselves Being excited in the flesh rather than in the spirit when we hear a word ostensibly from God. Sometimes we jump up, we are excited. Oh, somebody, God is speaking to me. You don't get too excited, especially when it is a fleshly thing. Perhaps if the man of God had not been excited, the man of God from Judah, if he had not been excited or if he had not desired to eat, if he had not desired to spend some time in Israel, perhaps, perhaps he might have escaped the deception of the old prophet. Many a times, there's nothing you can do about temptation. Temptation will always be there. But it is what is in us that is drawn away. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17, Galatians 5, 16 and 17, the Bible says, This I say to you then, Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What does it mean? Follow what the Spirit of God is saying to you, and you will not yield to the desires of your flesh. It says because the two of them are opposites. What the flesh desires, the spirit does not desire. What the spirit desires, the flesh does not desire. So we must make sure at every point in time that we are walking by the spirit of God, not by the flesh. So catch yourself when you start getting excited in the flesh. There are always two sides to every successful temptation. There's the tempter with Satan and his cohorts. And there's the tempted. Now the tempted, let me explain this this way. If you Place magnet close to a piece of metal. Naturally, the magnet will pull the metal in. On the other hand, if you place the most powerful magnet you can think of in the world and put a piece of wood, dry wood, somewhere that has no nail inside, no matter how powerful that magnet is, it's not going to attract the wood. So what we are saying is, we must be wood to the magnet of temptation. We must die to the flesh. Like Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20, It is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. Say the life that I now live, I live by faith. Faith of the Son of God, who who, who died for me and rose again. We cannot be allowing ourselves to be tempted every day. It is time for us to grab the flesh. The flesh is that sin-loving nature that we have. We must grab him, take him to the cross of Christ and crucify him there. I believe it's Galatians chapter 5 verse 24 that says those that belong to Christ they have crucified the flesh along with its um uh, is it desires or so and and its and its affections the things that they loves they've crucified it those are those who belong to Christ. So we ourselves whilst we are checking out these people who are prophets and so on and so forth we must also be mindful of ourselves that we are not easily drawn away or drawn, attracted to the to, 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 to the to the works of the flesh, to the things of the flesh. Number six, let us flee the love of money and rather pursue the things that make for godliness. In 1 Timothy chapter six, 1 Timothy chapter six, I read from verse six to 12 and then 17 to 19. 1 Timothy chapter six, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith, let us be, let us be there with content. The, the, one of the things I find very wrong with the messages in our churches these days is the lack of contentment. We are not teaching contentment in the church. Peter wrote uh, Paul wrote rather, I believe that's in Philippians, in chapter four of Philippians. He said he had learned both to be to 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 be to. To abound and to be abased. In whatever state I find myself, I have learned to be content therewith. A messenger who has not got school certificate is praying in church to become the CEO of the organization that has employed him. And the pastor is there urging him on and saying you can be anything. There are some things that you need to do now, please. Let's not bring greed into these things. Verse 9. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful things, a lost rather, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Flee the love of money. Flee money. It is true that there are things that we need to do that we need money for. That is true. But we must not trade our souls. For money. We must not trade the salvation that was hard won on the cross of Christ for money. We need to be content. Since those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation. They are successfully tempted because of the desire to be rich. Let us learn to be content. God can do, that is the miracle. God can place you where he wants to place you if you are living a holy life. It is not until you drive a Rolls Royce before you know that God is blessing you. Verse 11, but thou, O man of God, speaking to every one of us, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, love, patience, meekness, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. It is time to lay hold on eternal life. Don't When you say lay hold, hold, grasp it. Don't let it go. Don't let anything pry your hands when you're holding on to eternal life. If you're going to hold on to eternal life, then you cannot hold on to money. Then you cannot hold on to the world, which is the seventh thing that we're going to talk about. In verse 17 of the same first Timothy chapter 6, it says, charge them that are rich in this world. The Bible does not say that it is wrong to be rich. It is saying stop looking for it. There are people that God have blessed with wealth. But look at what it says. Charge those who are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Let's trust God, not the money. The money can fail, and money has failed many times. You can be broke. If you are, if, if, if if wealth is what you're looking for, then you're in trouble. God, God can bring money your way when it is needed. You just seek Him and serve. Him. In verse 18, it says, these people... Warn them that that they do good. That is with what they have. That they be rich in good works. Let them use their money to do good. Let them use their money to be rich in good works. Not just in money. Ready to distribute. Willing to communicate. It's talking of sharing. If you are a Christian and you are wealthy, you are called to be a distributor, not an accumulator. What are you doing with more than Maybe three, four cars. What are you dealing with even three cars? One for yourself, one for your wife. What are you doing with the third one? Okay, we agree. Let's let's see the third one to you. Maybe you want a driver to take your children to school. No problem. After that, what do you need the fourth one for? What do you need the fifth one for? What do you need the sixth one? What do you need all those cars for? That's covetousness. The Bible teaches contentment does not support covetousness. In verse 19, it says, By doing this, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. He's talking about laying hold on eternal life. Your wealth can bring you to that place as you use it for the glory of God. Allow the Spirit of God to speak to you. That's why we're talking about hearing from God. To speak to you on how to distribute the wealth that God has so graciously blessed you with. There are people who have money and the only people they bless... Is the pastor or the man of God? Because they believe that if they bless the man of God, they will have more. What of the poor people sitting next to you in the pews and church? What of your neighbors? How have you been a blessing to them? Let us flee the love of money; it will bring us to our destruction if we are not careful. And I warn you: avoid messages that urge you to desire money. Avoid those messages that are urging you to lust after wealth. There are some. I, I hear that there are, there are some churches. Where the, the elevation to certain state uh, 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 strata in the, within the church hierarchy is tied to how much you have. May the Lord show them mercy. Because honestly speaking, it is are the things that create problems. I had once of a of, of a fellow working in, a, in in an establishment who stole money, and when he was investigated, they discovered that he didn't use the money for himself. He took the money to his church. Who who teaches you? Which which scripture teaches? you can steal money and take to the house of god where do do we learn these things from number seven let us not love this world and what it offers the bible makes it clear in first john chapter 2 first john chapter 2 verse uh, 15 and 16 i believe it is it says love not the world neither the things that are in the world if any man love the world The love of the Father is not in him. The love of the Father is not in such a man. For all that is in the world, the loss of the flesh and the loss of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. All those strange desires, whatever your eyes see, you must have. You want to show that you are something. You want to show that you are something, the pride of life. It's not of God, it's of the world. Let us not love this world and its system and the things it is offering us. In Titus chapter 2, Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 13 Titus 2 11 and 13 we put that scripture a lot especially verse 11 say for the grace of god that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men but look at what follows in verse 12 he says it teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly righteously and godly in this present world we he it's, it's asking us to deny that is what grace teaches grace does not teach us to do what is wrong it teaches us to 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 shun ungodliness, to shun worldly lusts, it teaches us to seek after, pursue, and lay hold on on, on sobriety, on righteousness, and on godly living. In this present world, looking for that blessed hope is teaching us: says we should we should always be looking for the hope of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I do not see how we can love the world if we are hopeful of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, if you are truly a Christian, even though. You are in this world. You are not of this world. And you should not be swayed by it. The Bible says that you are an alien. You are a foreigner. You are a stranger to this world. This world is not your home. You are just passing through. To do God's work, to manifest the glory of God in the lives of people. Don't be swayed by it. Let me do a quick recap. We've said that the lessons that we can learn from the errors of the man of God who was deceived by the old prophets? Let us make it a point to test for fruit these men of God rather than leaves. We have said that we should assess the lives, the life of such men, not only their own lives, but those of their wives, their children, and even what the neighbors are saying about the man. Thirdly, we have said let us not be carried away with their renown, because some people come and say you don't. Know. We and some of these men, we know them. They are important men of God. We know them. However, when they speak to us, we should make sure that it is God that we go and check with. If God has told you something, and a man of renown, a good reputation comes and says to you, God is saying this to you. No problem, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Go and check with God. You don't have to accept it. You are not anybody who puts you under pressure to accept what he's saying as the word of God. You have to begin to check those things. Fourthly, let us be mindful. Also of the new prophets. It is not enough to be mindful of the old prophet. Also be mindful of those who are just jumping up from nowhere and saying they are new prophets. Fifthly, we said, always catch yourself being excited in the flesh. When when you hear somebody saying, thus says the Lord, you are excited. Is it in the flesh? That's why you need to kill the flesh. Otherwise, you, you will fall into the temptation. Let us not love money. Don't love money. Instead, pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness. And let us not love this world. Remember, you may be in the world but you are not of this world. If we are to be able to differentiate the voice of God from other voices, we must learn to distinguish between the voices by testing the messenger as well as the message. Obviously, if the message um, contradicts the word of God, even remotely, we must discountenance that message. If somebody comes and says he's preaching a message that is outside of the Bible, throw it away. It is incumbent on us, To know what the Word of God says. Reading the Bible is not something that we do for leisure. We do it for our own, to maintain our own salvation, to maintain our spiritual sanity in this mad world. This is how syncretism has crept into the church. Because people are not following the Word of God anymore. They are coming up and saying, Oh, an angel spoke to me and this is this. I ask a question. Where in the Bible have you seen that when you go and sweep a church or when you do an assignment or you take an assignment, that God would do something. Does God, do you need to do something for God to do something? What did you do when God saved your soul? What payment did you pay for the salvation of your soul? Or somebody says to you, if you want God to really do something, come and pay money. Honestly speaking, these are false prophecies. It has nothing to do with God. It's like saying to your son. I mean, I cannot imagine somebody saying to, to his son, if you want me to pay your school fees, wash my car. It is your son, your son has to do the chore of washing the car. Sweeping the house of God is a chore. You do it. It, it has nothing to do with whether God will do anything for you or not. Your relationship with God must be sound. Otherwise, they are no different from a, 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 an outsider who is coming to ask for something from God and is wanting to do something so that God can do something for him or her. But if you are a child of God, then you do what God wants you to do. It has nothing to do with whether God will do the. Your salvation will be there. But you seek after God. Also, we need to attest by the Spirit of God the authenticity of the messenger regardless of his earthly renown the size of his church or the miracles his work at find out who this fellow is have you dealt with the flesh the sin loving nature that is in man have you taken it to the cross of christ and crucified it there? or are you somewhere within you uh, within you is, there, is somewhere inside of you are you desiring money desiring the world Desiring the things of the flesh. You need to deal with your flesh. My brother, my sister, you need going to ask us to pray to ask God to help us. Brethren, I want you to understand one thing. Prayer must not be seen as a tool for obtaining physical needs. But prayer really is a means of communicating, of communion, communion communing with God. Seeking His will and the authenticity of those who come to us claiming one thing or the other in the name of God. So I say to you, pray, ask God to help you. Ask God to help you to be able to differentiate voice from all other voices. Bible tells us in John chapter 10, my sheep will hear my voice from after. Say by the voice of a stranger, they will run away. When they hear the voice, they will run away from that stranger. You must get to the place where you can differentiate. Go after God. Flee from a stranger. And until we meet again, God bless you as you have heard this word.